Amen. We are continuing this morning our journey throughout the book of Philippians. And as we begin this morning, I just want to tell you, we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, beginning with verse 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, I want to encourage you to go ahead and find Philippians chapter 3. And as you're doing that, I'm going to take this opportunity just to remind us of two pieces of information that I'd like for us to review every time that we take another step into our journey in the book of Philippians. First of all, we need to know what the context of this is. And so here's what you need to know about the context is that the book of Philippians, it's written by Paul, and he wrote it from his prison cell. And he wrote it directly to the church in Philippi, and he did that somewhere between A.D. 55 and A.D. 62. And as we look at the book of Philippians as a whole, as we read through that, it becomes easy to see that there is a common theme that appears over and over throughout the book of Philippians, and it is this. It's that Paul rejoices in his partnership with the Philippians, And he does that in the midst of adversity. And so with that in mind, as we prepare to hear our text for this morning, if you are physically able to stand, I want to invite you to stand with us right now to honor the reading of God's Word. Again, Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. God's Word says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh... I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Father, I thank you for the message that you've placed on my heart for this day, for this very time. And Father, now I pray that you will just hide me behind the cross. Lord, I pray that I will preach you and you crucified. Lord, I pray that the words that leave my mouth, Lord, I pray that they will that they will uh, rest on people who have their ears open, their hearts open, their minds open, and their eyes open. Father, I pray that... Um, 
that you will be especially with someone that is hearing my voice right now that does not know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that today will be when they hear the truth of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we will see people saved in this place. And I pray that we will see transformation occur. And I pray that we will see you and you only glorified. Father, for the things that you will do in this place today, we give you praise, honor, and glory for it all. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we begin this morning, the title of this morning's message is Our Only Boast is in Christ. I want to say that one more time. Our only boast is in Christ. Now, at this point in our journey throughout the book of Philippians, we have seen Paul model for us that we can indeed have joy in the midst of adversity. We have seen Paul model for us that as Christians, we truly can rejoice always. Rejoicing always was not just something that Paul told others to do. He modeled that, and he did it in some of the most dire situations imaginable. And then throughout our our journey in chapter 2, the last two weeks, we have seen four excellent examples of how, what it looks like to live a life that is filled with humility. We have seen that through chapter 2. Now, in today's text, we're going to see two different things happen. The first main thing that we are going to see happen, we see occur here in, in verses 1 through 3, and that we see that false teachers are exposed when a person truly knows Jesus Christ. Again, hear that one more time. False teachers are exposed when a person truly knows Jesus Christ. And I want to just give you an example to start with before we drill down into the Scripture for this morning. Many of you know that before God called me to the gospel ministry. I spent an awfully long time working in the banking industry. Now, during that time, like all of the frontline people, the tellers, the customer service representatives, anybody that had access to touching cash, they either reported to me directly or through somebody that I supervised. And I'll just tell you, we spent an awful lot of time training on how to detect counterfeit money. It's a big, it's a big deal. It is a really big deal, and I'll tell you that there, the possibilities are endless for counterfeit money. I'll tell you that they're absolutely endless. So just thinking about training employees to detect counterfeit money, do you think it would make more sense to try to somehow come up with every last possibility of how a bill might be counterfeit? Or would it make more sense to focus on the real thing? what the real thing looks like, what the real thing feels like. What's it feel like when you have it in your hand? And we found, like when I was in the banking industry, it was much more effective to do that, to focus on the real thing. What does the real thing feel like? What's the real thing look like? And we found out once that people knew that, it became really easy to detect what's false. And so I want to tell you this morning, in our walk with Jesus, when we focus on the real thing, and let's be clear right at the very beginning, the real thing, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ. When we focus on Jesus, it becomes rather easy to detect when we're hearing something that is false. 
So this morning, I want to just make one more connection before we look at our scripture. Do you find it amazing that, because I'll tell you, the answer that I, my answer to this is yes, I find it amazing that when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he's dealing with false teachers. And then fast forward till today. There are unfortunately men who will stand in pulpits all over the world today, and they will proclaim a false gospel. False teaching is still prevalent today. We have got to focus, again, on the real thing, who is Jesus. We've got to know his gospel. We've got to know his word from cover to cover. That allows us to detect when we are hearing false teaching. So as our text begins today, what's happening in the scriptures that we're looking at today is that there are false teachers that are pres- present, and they are insisting that salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ plus something. Just hear me say at the beginning this morning, that is just simply not true. Salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus only Jesus. Now, as our text begins this morning, we see Paul use the word finally. And I want to tell you, he uses that in a different context that we would use the same word in our English language today. Normally, if you and I say finally, it signifies that the end is near, the end is coming, we're almost finished. And when we think about the book of Philippians, Paul's approximately halfway through the book of Philippians right now. So obviously he is not saying, I'm about finished. What he is saying here is something more like, well then, or perhaps the word furthermore. Now, I want to remind you one more time that Paul is writing this from prison, and his current circumstance is far from ideal. But he has made the choice that he's going to rejoice. And I want to be sure that you notice that's the same thing that he is telling the people he's writing the letter to do. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul's relationship with Jesus was the source of his joy. And if we experience true joy this morning, that will be our source of joy as well. It will be our relationship with Jesus Christ because true joy comes only through Jesus Christ. And I think it's important that we realize that throughout the book of Philippians, as we read the book of Philippians, remember I said that Paul Um, He focuses on joy. He focuses on joy throughout the book of Philippians. And you might wonder, so why does he do it? Wouldn't saying it one time be enough? Wouldn't wouldn't saying it one time be enough? Well, let me ask you this. For the, the things that bring us temporary joy here in our life, let's just say it's a child or a grandchild. Is talking about them one time enough? It's not, is it? It's not. We often repeat ourselves. 
And I wanted you to hear this morning the joy that Paul is experiencing as a result of his relationship with Jesus Christ. He considers it worth talking about. He wants everybody to know the source of his joy. And I think another thing that we see Paul do here is he continues to repeat joy over and over and over again. He's using it as a learning tool. He's using uh, repetition as a way for teaching. But he has experienced that joy, and he wants others to experience it too. Now, in verse 2, we see Paul get very real here, very transparent here. Now, since today is Father's Day, I want us to think of Paul writing to these people as if they are his spiritual children. He is trying to take care of them. He is telling them in verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He is warning them. Now, in this day and time that Paul is writing this letter to have referred to a religious person as a dog, let me just tell you, it was a slur. It was meant to get attention. To have described somebody that was a religious leader as an evildoer, that should have caught their attention. So you you might wonder, so Why is he calling them this? Why is Paul so bent out of shape? Why is he using this terminology? Well, it's because false teachers are on the scene. They are saying specifically what they are teaching at this point in time is that salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ plus circumcision. They were proclaiming that message, and Paul is saying it's not true. It's not truth. Salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ only. Paul is wanting them to listen to him as a father would listen to their child. To hear him say, salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, Paul is strongly disagreeing with his opponents here. He tells them in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit, of God in glory, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. Once again, the Christian, when we boast, the only thing that we have to boast about of eternal significance is Jesus Christ. Our boast is in Him. Now, the big picture of what's going on here is that people were coming to Jesus. Gentiles were coming to Jesus. They were being saved. Would that not be good news? I think all of us would say, praise God to that. People are being saved. Our eyes are seeing people be saved. But there was a group of religious people that they were not happy about it at all. Because, see, these people were not their kind. Perhaps they looked differently than they did. They certainly had different beliefs. Those people were willing to to um, believe that their relationship, their salvation was based on directly their faith in Jesus Christ, and that did not that did not suit the religious people. They didn't, and they they come up with all other types of 
hoops that these people were going to have to go through, circumcision being one of them. As we start to look at our remainder of the text today, the other thing that we're going to see happens when a person truly knows Jesus Christ is that pride is exposed when a person truly knows Jesus Christ. We're going to see that Paul uses himself as an example here to prove this point. Now remember, Paul previously would have been in the same group of people that he's arguing with right now. He was one of their leaders. And so he tells them, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Can't you just almost hear Paul saying this? You've heard me say before that the more I study the life of Paul, the more I appreciate this man. The more that I am looking forward to meeting him in heaven one day. But Paul is saying, hey, if you think that you've got qualifications, listen to mine. Listen to mine. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, remember that's what this group is all concerned about. As to the law, I'm considered a Pharisee. Just like them. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I am blameless. Now, is that not a set of credentials? It is such a set of credentials. If anybody, anybody had reason to boast, it would have been Paul. But let's look and see what Paul says. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Paul's righteousness didn't come as a result of anything that he was able to do, and neither does yours, neither does mine. We are not able to ever do enough good things to earn our salvation. We simply can't do enough good things to do that. But we can place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that is what matters it doesn't it doesn't involve keeping a list of rules or rituals paul goes on to count all of these things as rubbish as trash in order that i may gain christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
Now, y'all know how I am. You've heard me say many times that I believe our Bible is true from Genesis 1-1 to the final verse in the book of Revelation. I believe that every word of Scripture is there for a purpose. I do not believe that anything made it into Scripture just because, nor is it an accident. What's in Scripture is there for a purpose. And I want to make sure that you realize this morning, that you caught this morning as I read this text, that Paul says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ I've got to ask the question this morning, are we willing to do the same thing? Are we willing to do the same thing? Are we willing to suffer the loss of all the things that we have for the sake of Christ? Now, if we find ourselves saying, well, I would do some, I would give him some, but not all, then those things that you're not willing to let go of, hear me say this in love, but they've become an idol in your life. The things that we are not willing to lay at the foot of Jesus, those things have become idols in our lives. Now, does Christ call us all to live a life of poverty? No, he doesn't. And praise God for that. But you know he just might. If he did, would we be willing to follow? Would we be willing to suffer the loss of all things for the sake of Christ? What if he called us to sell everything we have and move to Africa long term? Would we do it? Now, our eyes have just recently seen a family who was willing to do exactly that. But would we do it? If Jesus said so, I pray that the answer is yes. Because no matter, no, no matter how much stuff we think that we have, those things will never provide eternal happiness. Those things, they simply do not provide eternal happiness. So in verse 9 here, why does Paul... Why does Paul continue to talk like this about this single-minded devotion to Jesus? Well, here's the answer to that. Jesus is our only source of righteousness and our only source of a true relationship with God. This righteousness is a gift from God, and it comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not any type of works. Remember, salvation is faith in Jesus Christ alone, not faith in Jesus plus anything else. Paul's telling the Philippians here, as far as salvation is concerned, as humans, we don't deserve anything. We are not able to achieve it on our own, and we have absolutely no reason for pride. None. Absolutely none. But God's done it all. He's done everything. He created the world, included us. He has disciplined us. He has discipled us. He provided Jesus to us to die on the cross so that we could have eternal life. He did all of that for us. 
the only human part that's involved in this is that we've got to have faith to accept what God has done for us. Now, as our text concludes today, Paul is still being very real with these people. He is telling them that he wants to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's very clear that's what he wants. Now, let's not forget, before we knew Paul as this man named Paul, remember who we knew him as? Saul. And let's just say Saul had a blinding experience on the Damascus Road. And his life was never the same after that. Not only did his experience on the Damascus Road temporarily blind him, God used that experience. <clears throat> Excuse me. My voice is just suddenly gone again. So y'all pray, pray for my voice. Not only did that experience on the Damascus Road temporarily blind him, God used that experience to transform him and to do it completely. And can I tell you, that's, that's what he wants to do with us too. If somebody tells you, I'm a Christian, I've made the decision to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but then you see absolutely nothing change in their life. Something's wrong, church. Something is wrong. Now, it's no trouble to look at the life of Paul and see that he did a complete bout face after his conversion. And I was talking with some people earlier this morning, and I suspect that the reason we have so much documented in our scriptures on this man named Saul prior to his conversion to Christianity on the Damascus Road, I suspect highly that part of the reason the Scriptures documented his life as Saul as well as they did is because we could see the radical transformation of what happens after an encounter with Jesus Christ. He wants to do the same thing with you. He wants to do the exact same thing with you. I wonder this morning, can we say, as Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I wonder this morning, can you say that exact same thing? Do you say the exact same thing? My prayer is that, yes, your answer is yes, and that you do that daily, that you repeat to yourself every day, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not me that lives any longer, but instead it is Christ who lives in and through me. And if we can say that, church, we can say, Praise the Lord, because what we do will be for His glory, not ours. And that's exactly what the world needs to see. I wonder, do you know this man named Jesus Christ today? Do you know Him? Do you know, as, can you say, as Paul has said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer me that lives, but instead it's Christ who lives in me. If you can say that, then praise the Lord. 
There is no better news that we could have this morning than to know that our eternity will be spent with Jesus Christ. But I want to be very clear as I try to be during the time of invitation every time that I preach. Not everybody goes to heaven, folks. Perhaps you're watching our live stream this morning. And you think that going to heaven is just something that automatically happens for everybody when they die. I'm telling you, nothing could be farther from the truth. The only people who go to heaven are those who have confessed their sins. Those who have asked Jesus to forgive them and to be their Lord and Savior. If we've done those things, then His blood covers us and then our eternity will be with Jesus Christ. But if we haven't, we are going to have eternity, but it's not going to be in heaven. It will be in that place called hell, where our scriptures describe that place, the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is not a fun place to be, and it is there for all eternity. Again, I wonder, do you know him today? Maybe your answer is no, but I don't know what to do. I, I would love for you to come and talk with me. There are other people here this morning that will also talk with you. I would like nothing better than to introduce you to this man named Jesus Christ. See, it involves admitting that you're a sinner. Admitting that there's things in your life that doesn't honor Jesus. And those things called sin have made a separation between you and Christ. The B stands for we've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son. That everything that the Bible says about Jesus is indeed true. That He lived on this earth. His life contained absolutely no sin. And that God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to the cross to die for our sins. We've got to be willing to believe that. We've got to be willing that that crucifixion, that, that Jesus died through that, that he was taken off the cross, that he was placed in a tomb, and that three days later he rose. We've got to be willing to believe that. And then the C stand, simply stands for confess. And that confessing, it involves repenting and turning from our sins. Now, just for a moment as we close, I want you to imagine with me just for a moment this man that we now know as Paul, previously known as Saul, as he had his encounter on the Damascus Road. He was temporarily blinded. We can say God got his attention through that. Wouldn't it get airs if we were just out walking down the road and suddenly... We could see, and all of a sudden our sight's gone. I think if something like that doesn't get our attention, I'm not sure whatever would. Let's just say it got Saul's. But as a result of that experience, he turned, didn't he? He didn't turn completely all the way around. Let's just say he made an about face. His life in the future looked radically different than it did in the past. I wonder, would someone say the same thing about our lives? Because let's make no mistake about it, people are watching. They see what we do Monday through Saturday. They know whether or not our lives honor Christ. And I pray that when they look at this church, that they see a reflection of Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, do you 
you have a need today. Maybe it's a need for salvation. Maybe it's a need for something else. We've already seen people come to pray at the beginning of the service. Praise the Lord for that. I really wish, you've heard me say this before, I wish that this altar was used so much that the carpet would be threadbare on it. That's what I wish. I wish we would use it that much. I wonder this morning, do you need to use the altar? If so, I I invite you to come forward. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be in your house today. Lord, I, I thank you for your word that we affirm is true. And Lord, now I pray, I pray that as we have this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that that we would use it as a time to search our hearts, to search our lives, to see if there is anything that doesn't please you, that's contained within our lives, within our hearts. And Lord, if if the answer to that is yes, that there is something in our lives and our hearts that doesn't please you, Lord, I pray that we would freely lay those things at your feet today. Lord, perhaps there are others that as they heard the message today, as they read your word today, perhaps conviction occurred when we were talking about considering everything that we've gained as rubbish for the sake of Christ. Perhaps someone has identified something in their life that they just have not been willing to lay down to this point. Father, I pray that the day will be the day that things are laid at your feet. Father, may our eyes be totally focused on you. May we glorify you today, tomorrow, and until the day that you call us home. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.